The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuli. It is Tuesday night. Is it Tuesday, Trav? All my days are blurring together anymore. Yeah, you got it. Tuesday night. We're good. Uh, well, um, which is weird because I'm the one not working. So you should know the days. I should be asking <laughs> you these things. See, I need to know this because I'm flying on Wednesday. So I should probably know what day it is. Otherwise, Southwest is going to be looking for me tomorrow. And that just. Yeah, you don't want that. That would be very bad for business. But uh, welcome to the nail, everybody. It is a uh, post NBA Finals edition. Um, I guess we're gonna put a uh, postscript on the uh, the postseason and start to look ahead to the uh, the summer we've all been warily looking uh, ahead to for months. But uh, yeah, the finals. We we figured it was a long shot and probably don't need to get into the minutia of it all it was a four game sweep and i think the point differential ended up being the uh the widest margin in finals history for a sweep but uh yeah it is what it is that's uh, that i guess that's kind of surprising although i'd have to go back i'm i guess i'm a little surprised that it was wider than when they played the spurs but um yeah i mean we kind of knew i don't know that anybody was overly optimistic going in um i said to most people I knew after game one, um, you can't, you can't lose games like that if you want to have any chance whatsoever in the series. And sure enough, they didn't really have much chance in the series. So, yeah. Side note, by the way, that 07 series, I think the Cavs lost the two home games in that by a combined four points or something like that. They got rocked in San Antonio, but uh, the, the home games were, were fairly competitive. And I guess, you know, in this one, game three was as well, but, um, yeah, that game one was pretty much the absolute worst thing that could happen on so many levels. Because I think we went into it, expectations were pretty low, and it was just enough to get you excited and feeling like it could be a competitive series and get your hopes up and still not win a game, and then you've got to play out the string after that. And then we found out afterwards, uh, just, um, you know, a, a whole lot more interesting stuff in terms of... Uh, a white a whiteboard meeting its demise in the uh, post game of game one. Yeah, yeah, that was. I, I don't know that anybody knew about that. It came out pretty much immediately after the game. Um, it seemed like everybody. It seemed like there was a few guys probably in the media that already knew about it, um, but didn't report on it for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate on that. Maybe they had just heard it at the very end and, and they were the first ones to say it. So they had just learned it at that time too. I don't know. But I'd be very surprised if somebody had that information during the series and sat on it. That that's, that's a blockbuster. That's maybe, and maybe I'm wrong. It's just sort of how it felt to me when it came out, like the way that it came out, it seemed like it was, it was guys uh, specifically Windhorst. Um, it seemed like he was reporting on it before, anyone from the Cavs had actually said anything about it, but yeah, it was before LeBron could, even got to the podium know. that night. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe they just heard about it in the locker room. And so he put it out there right away. And then a few minutes later, LeBron came out. I don't know, but well, speaking of Wendy, he had the comment after game one, he said that was the most despondent and dejected locker room. I think he said he has ever seen even worse than teams that have had their seasons ended. And I'm guessing he would not have gotten in there in between the time that the game ended and that whiteboard got smashed. So um, my guess is somebody in there probably realized just how bad things were with LeBron's hand pretty quickly. And that would, you know, take a bad situation and immediately make it much, much worse. And I think the frustration with JR's obvious gaffe at the end of regulation puts the whole... Uh, uh, LeBron uh, quotes all, all of his quotes from the latter half of the series. They started asking him about roster composition and whatnot, and just the difference between the Warriors and the Cavs. And he really was harping on this idea of basketball IQ and you know playing smart and and the importance of that. And <laughs> I guess he really, really took that to heart. If he's uh, 
pretty much breaking his hand in frustration over what happened at uh, the end of the fourth quarter in that first game. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That game was kind of a kind of, um, I don't know, kind of frustrating for a, a multitude of reasons, I guess. So I don't know how much we really <laughs> want to go back and bitch about that. I, I was obviously, um, I don't know, not, not necessarily the most uh, hinged person that you've ever <laughs> come across. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's weird because I, I talked to some people after that game and, and there was a couple of them that were like, you know, I, I, I don't feel so bad about this game. Um, this shows that we can play with them. I said, no, you can't, you can't afford to lose games like that to them. Um, they're going to run you off the floor a couple times when the games are close. You got to find a way to win them. Um, the Cavs did, in my opinion, <laughs> um, Guys in the gray shirts took exception to that, and they decided they didn't want to. Um, but all right, let's spend let's let's spend five minutes. Let's just get it out of our systems. The officiating, you are much more uh, officiating focused than I think I am. Um, but even I felt like at times in this series, especially in the earlier games, and especially especially in Game One, it was rough. Um, here's the thing, though, I'm of the mindset that it is incompetence and not malice. I just, anytime you're going to insinuate that, that there is some sort of ill intent in the officiating or what the league does or any outside forces besides the two teams playing in the games, uh, the thing for me is it comes back to why. And I'll, I'll throw this at you really quick. Do you think they're so incompetent that they actually thought LeBron might have been within the restricted area? No, I I think okay. I then think they very I think they used a very poor. Uh, I'm trying to think. I I think there was some question as to whether or not he got into position in time. Which, to be clear, that is not something you can go to. That the, alone is not reviewable. That is not reviewable. Um, and they figured out that they had a loophole. This is all my guess. I don't know any of this. Obviously, this is all speculation on my part, but. My guess is they figured, hey, there's a loophole. We can go look at this. And that's the other thing that annoys me about this. How do you only have one thing in that situation that can trigger a replay, but yet once you're into the replay, you can overturn multiple things? That makes no sense to me. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it can only be done, you know, a certain point in the game. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Is there any other foul that can be reviewed? Um... I mean, I th- you can review if fouls happened before certain other things happen. Where, but it, I don't think there's any other foul that can be overturned by replay. I could be wrong. I was going to say, um, I think just like the, uh, you know, um, flagrant situations, if you want to review for a flagrant one or two or, you know, possible ejections and things like that. I don't know. It's a very strange loophole, and it was very incorrectly applied. And it was. But here's a- here's the thing: if it, you said you think it's incompetence, not malice, if they lied and said that they weren't sure if he was in the restricted area, that is malice. That is malicious. You can't you can't just you know blatantly lie about it. So I, I think it's, it. I, well, I, I guess we're kind of getting into semantics here, but I mean, to me at that point, it's, it's, they're not lying to throw the warriors a bone. It's to cover up the fact that they think they screwed up another call and they're compounding their mistakes. The, the okay, bigger point that, I'm trying that, to that immediately though, is them doing something they're not allowed to do as officials. They have very strict rules about what it was bad. It was bad. And I'm not going to dispute any of that. If you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, though, and I'm not saying that you are, I'm just saying in general, if you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that, hey, maybe they did think he was close, then they're not good enough to be officiating NBA Finals games. He was so far out of the restricted area that if you were in doubt about whether he was or not, you're not competent to do that job. Yeah. I mean, you're right. And again, I, I, I think they it was a poorly handled situation all around. My point in terms of the incompetence and, and why I don't think there was malice and, and like, oh, you know, they're favoring Golden State or anything like that. Yeah, I don't the, think they were the conspiracy to theorists want to get worked that, up over I do is think they were trying to bend the rules to, ev- to everybody involved makes more money 
the more games that series goes. And you've got one team that's clearly better than the other. They, they had There was absolutely zero financial incentive whatsoever to shorten that series. So that, that's yeah, to me. With that. And I don't know that I think they were necessarily against the Cavs. I do think they broke the rules, though. It was, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Um, and, and, if, and there was a point, if you rewind about probably two and a half, three minutes, I think, in that game, there was a, a, a terrible series from them where LeBron gets a clean block on Durant, gets called for a foul, Durant hits two free throws, they come right back down, and LeBron gets blatantly fouled without a foul call, and they get the ball back and, and come down and I think hit a three on it. So there, at this point, I was already steaming over the incompetence that this yes, you just, were. Put me over, <laughs> just put me over the fucking edge. Like, I don't know... I don't know how you can say these are the best people you have. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. I In theory, the finals should have your best officials, and those are easy calls that should not be hard to make, and they screwed them up. Yeah, that that's my thing. I was thinking about this for a while in terms of, you know, they're already narrowing the pool down to 12 officials for the finals. Yeah, in baseball, there's one umpiring crew assigned to a series, and they just rotate around the bases and down the outfield lines for the seven games. It's it's the same guys for every single game in a series. And I got to thinking, like, could you do that with basketball? Like, why not just narrow it down to your top four officials? I don't think they want things like – I don't think they want, like – we'll use Draymond as an example. If a, if a ref gets into it with Draymond game one, right – Mm-hmm. They don't want that like trickling down to future games, and I no, get that. And, and the other thing, although that, there's no one, Draymond gets you know the officials apparently love Draymond, so I don't know why they wouldn't want that. But yeah, that is annoying that they have no problem giving him one technical, but that apparently comes with a license to maim for the rest of the game. Yeah, because <laughs> he, he, he knows he's not getting number he two. Might as well just pick your first technical up immediately. Right. You might as well just have him spot you when to start the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you the other just go nuts. and more to your point in terms of why they don't maybe narrow it down to that you know three or four officials is probably because they don't want to have one particular official having too much influence in a series and sure. you, know, you start getting into the uh, unscrupulous outside actors and whatnot and who knows um, you know people are getting compromised and God only knows where things go from there. Um, it sucks that the, the start of that series, it was a, it was a damn shame because that was a phenomenal game. I think the Cavs had a great game plan coming in. It was fun to watch. It was exciting. Gave us some hope. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think I either texted you or one of our other friends somewhere along the line in game three. I, I, I knew something wasn't right with LeBron. After that first game, because yeah, we look, talked about it at the end of the series. You look at his shot chart from game one. He was knocking down shots from all over the floor. His jumper looked fantastic. And he'd been and, doing that the whole playoffs. That right. wasn't, yeah, that wasn't a new development. Right. But he like, I mean, 51, eight and eight. I mean, that was like the peak of his powers. I mean, he was dialed in. He was in full control of that game. He looked phenomenal. And the remainder of that series he just he never looked totally right again. His jumper never looked good. He couldn't make a shot outside of five feet. It was it was painful. And by the end of the series, I think I mean he wasn't even hardly shooting at all from the outside. He was just taking everything to the rim. And even finishing at the rim, he was kind of struggling with his efficiency. And and, and by the way, I think he still averaged like twenty seven seven and eight or something like that over the three games he played with a broken hand, which is just ridiculous. Um. But I, I personally, I thought his vision was messed up because he got gouged in the eye by our pal Draymond in the first game. And, uh, you know, I think he had talked about in that first game having blurred vision the rest of the night. I figured that that was a lot worse than they were letting on. Or it was his right ankle that he had rolled over. And I think he did it again in game three. And that just kept getting worse. But, yeah, the hand thing just totally came out of nowhere. I was shocked by that. Yeah, and the the eye thing was I mean it was I was surprised it was visible like the entire series obviously pretty pretty That was gross. That had to hurt like yeah. hell. Oh yeah. And <laughs> of course Draymond seemed incredulous that there was a foul called and uh that's I don't want to spend the whole time bitching about Draymond, but um it, I, I didn't really have if you look at my Twitter feed I'd probably have some more gripes than and it sounds like I do here. 
um, with the officiating. Game one, I think, was one of the one of the bigger screw jobs I've ever seen. But to be fair, I don't know that winning one game would have made a huge difference. Um, Golden State clearly the better team. Um, kind of is what it is at this point. I do think that game one brought a lot of attention to a major flaw that the NBA has in, in specifically the review process um, and sort of the way that games are officiated. So I think hopefully we see some adjustments made on that front, but well, I, who knows? I think you're going to see some adjustments made on another front. Uh, the NBA off season is upon us. Have you turned on the Twitter notifications for Woj and uh, uh, Shams Charania and uh, Steiny Mo and the rest of them yet? No, I, I honestly like. I'm sure it'll all blow, one. It'll happen and it'll blow up almost immediately. And I don't think I actually need to follow anybody. I think it'll be impossible to avoid. Well, it's uh, it's upon us. the uh, The draft comes up uh, what in about two weeks. I think it's uh, yeah. two weeks from Thursday. Um, it kind of stinks the way if you're a team like the Cavs. It kind of it kind of stinks the way that free agency and the draft line up because you can't you can't play in your draft the brown guys that you have. Yeah, um, it, it you got to draft and then and then figure it out. This is a uniquely difficult situation for the Cavs, just in terms of having a lottery pick and having the centerpiece of your franchise also twisting in the wind. And you know, I I will just say this right off the bat. You know, I think. What we've seen in the past with LeBron when he's kind of reached these major crossroads was it's typically around, you know, free agency starts July 1st and he announces like a week or, you know, maybe two weeks later. I think I want to say that his return back to Cleveland was like July 11th, maybe. So there are a lot of people I'm already seeing dreading that he's going to drag this out almost another month. I don't think that's going to happen this time, no matter There was a report, someone on Twitter today, and they were verified, but take that, I don't even remember who it was. It was a name I wasn't terribly familiar with, but they said LeBron was going to let the Cavs know tomorrow right. what he plans to do. But yeah, so folks, it is entirely, it's entirely possible that by the time you're downloading this and listening to we this, everything we're, we're saying right now is obsolete, but... That actually kind keep of listening, anyways. Yeah, keep, <laughs> please do. It costs you nothing. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I that that my first piece of advice to everybody is be skeptical of every single rumor that you read. Uh, be twice as skeptical if it comes from someone that you've never heard of prior to their tweet showing up in your timeline for the first time. And if you only see it on Facebook, just go ahead and assume that it's not true because more garbage gets peddled on there than anywhere else in sports and in other walks of life, as we've learned. Um, So this speaking of like this mention in passing that Gary Payton had of LeBron's uh, LeBron, LeBron Jr. um, committing to a high school. Since when do kids sign letters like letters of intent to go to a high school? Yeah, this I is don't. a completely a. I don't think Gary Payton knows anything at all whatsoever. B. You don't commit to a high school in July. You just or June. You just enroll and you go there. He's LeBron. His kid will get in whatever school he wants him to get into. That's it. I don't. It, it, this and and then unfortunately this the Gary Payton saying it on some radio interview or whatever it was um, trickled down to a bunch of people on Twitter saying it as they know it to be fact as well. <laughs> right. It just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's bizarre. It seems—it feels like it's just gotten completely out of hand. I will say, I found a bit of gratification in the fact that immediately after the Warriors won a title, all anyone on ESPN wanted to talk about was where LeBron was going. No one actually gave a shit about the Warriors anymore. So oh, yeah. that was enjoyable for me personally. He's the center, the, the the center of the league. I mean, I, I called him a centerpiece of the Cavs franchise. He's the centerpiece of the league. Somebody called him an individual dynasty, and I thought that was the best description I've seen because, you, I mean, where he goes, his team is instantly a contender. The entire, the entire balance of the league follows him. Exactly right. 
That's a hundred percent right, and it, to a degree that I don't think we've ever seen no with one else any player say that. No, in, not in the all. NBA or maybe even sports. Um, it's fascinating, and yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's it's high risk, high reward if if you're the team that's got him, and you know that's the position uh, for now at least that the Cavs are in. Um, and you know, they've, they've been doing this dance back and forth where he clearly doesn't trust the ownership and the ownership's not willing to fully commit to him if he's not willing to commit to them. And it's this dance back and forth. And here we are at the standoff. And I just, the thing that I keep coming back to with this is I really think we're going to find out something with him, maybe even by Wednesday, if, uh, you know, the internet rumor of the day proves to be true. Um, I think we're going to find out something sooner or later with him just because the way his contract is structured, he's got the opt-out or opt-in. Basically, he can become a free agent if he uh, declines the option for next season by June 29th. And that opt-in for the last year, don't forget, that was the mechanism that Chris Paul used to facilitate the trade to the Rockets. So if LeBron wants to try to do something similar with setting up a trade to go to a team that might not have the salary cap room to sign him outright, he's going to need to declare that ahead of time, ahead of the start of free agency. Um, If he wants to give the Cavs one more year and see what they can do with their roster this year, again, he's going to need to probably uh, opt in by that deadline. Um, And, you know, I, I think if he is thinking about staying here, um, I, I think it's in his best interest to act quickly because the Cavs, this isn't like a year where they've just got uh, a late second round pick and no other draft picks. I mean, they've got a very high draft pick. Um, they've got limited other assets to work with. You want to have as much time to, to do something with those as you can. And, you know, I just I think it would make sense for him to say like, all right, I'm in. Now, what the hell are you going to do with this stuff? Let, like, what's the plan here? Let's go. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think a lot of that. I, I, obviously, it would be helpful, and it's one of the things that this um, the news that LeBron could be telling them tomorrow his plans could be helpful for them because they can determine. You know, they don't have necessarily have to make that eighth pick. They can use that to go out and get a guy if that's what if LeBron says, "Hey, I'm going to stay, but you can't. You got to go get someone else." Right. That's clearly their biggest bargaining chip for for a trade. And, and if they're going to go out and get another one of those guys to complement them, um, knowing that they can use that, that becomes more valuable to a team. The, the pick itself is more valuable to a team than I think a player is. And just to be a hundred percent clear on this, uh, because of the Stepien rule, they need to actually make the pick on draft night. Um, but once they, they could make the agree pick, to terms with someone and someone tells them who they need to pick. Exactly. And, so, and yeah. you know, it's, it's the technicalities of all of it. It might still come across on draft night, even if it would play out in that scenario, it, it might come across that, Hey, they're, they're drafting somebody, but it's for the purposes of going to another team when a previously agreed upon arrangement or whatever. So, mm-hmm. Um, just something for, for people to keep in the back of their mind. And, you know, the other reason I just, I feel like he, you know, if he, if LeBron does choose to move on from, from the Cavs and go somewhere else, um, the reason I feel like this thing won't get dragged out super long is, you know, he has rebuilt his image and then some for any sort of uh, damage he might have done with 2010. And, I just think that the last thing LeBron would want to do at this point, again, maybe I'm, you know, I'm just speculating and this is just my own thought, but the last thing I I would think he would want to do at this point would be to drag this out and um, create any of the fireworks and, and, you know, basically whatever you did in 2010 when you left the Cavs, don't do, do that again. <laughs> Make this as exactly. graceful and as painful. Delete Jim Gray's number. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, make this as graceful and as, as you know, uh, professional and, and low-key and just, yeah. you know, 
move on, go do your thing. And, and yeah, if he does end up leaving, it's gonna need to, it's gonna need to be the the public letter thanking Cleveland, reminiscing on all the great memories and all these things. It's just time for another challenge. Blah blah blah, all that other bullshit. Um, it's not. I, I think I don't know that anyone really anticipated, um, and no one's really done it since. I guess um, the backlash that came from the decision originally, obviously. So I think Le- Le- LeBron's a pretty smart guy, and truthfully, as far as his his uh, his PR um, history, that's really the only blemish he has. Yeah. So I don't I don't anticipate it being anything contentious or whatever the case is. And I that think, in and of itself is a pretty incredible thing in the social oh, media amazing. era. Amazing, considering how much, especially when you figure um, the expectations that he came in to the league with, the attention that he had on him from a very young age. And maybe, I mean, I think there's two ways that that could have worked out. All that attention could have either, you know, trained him and gotten him used to it like it did to where he was comfortable and he didn't make those common mistakes or it could have turned him into a huge asshole. Um, luckily I think for him it, it went the other way, but he knows what he's doing now. I think he's got a lot of, um, he's got a much better feel for, I think how he's viewed, um, that I, I don't anticipate it being anything like it was last time. No. And the other thing with this, I'm seeing people call this the decision 3.0 and some variation thereof. What I think is weird is everybody seems to forget that he was a free agent in the summer of 2016. And if you are of the mindset that he came back to Cleveland to right some sort of wrong by not winning a championship here his first time with the Cavs, and he delivered on his promise when he returned, if that was the whole motive for returning and he was free and clear to go once he won a title, he could have walked off into the sunset and gone somewhere else in 2016. And he did sign the deal that he's under now, the three year, hundred million dollar contract that, you know, he has the option of getting out of, which is what leaves us in the position we're in now. Um, and for whatever reason, I can remember like even going to the parade thinking like, well, he got us a title or are we sure he's staying here after this? And, you know, he did. And I don't know why that just, it's always struck me as odd that everybody seems to just totally sweep that under the rug and forget about it. This is not like the the third installment of the decision. He's had multiple times that he could have, you know, gone elsewhere. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of stunning. I think how, how it will be how everything he's done basically or how anything he does from this point forward will be impacted uh, how it's viewed will be impacted specifically by 2016 winning that title I, I i feel pretty strongly that a vast majority of clevelanders are not gonna hold a whole lot of um a whole lot of ill will towards him if he leaves again no um and and he, I think he's he's earned that, and that's fine. And I'm one of those people. I obviously probably hated him as much as anybody back in 2010. So he he did what he did anything we could have asked. And I think anybody who is realistic can look at it and say, yeah, one title in four years with the best player maybe of all time doesn't seem like a lot. But he just ran into a fucking buzzsaw. Um, the way that the Warriors pulled this their team currently together, um, no one could have seen that coming. Um, it's a bunch of random circumstances that they they lucked into this absolute juggernaut that no one's going to b- blame LeBron for not beating outside of Skip Bayless, I guess. Yeah, I, and you know that that's something I would love to know in an honest moment because I mean I, I would love to hear LeBron's thoughts on this and I don't know that he's ever really gone into a whole lot of depth on it is you know they obviously they they were right there with Golden State in 2015 and then you know that was with two all-stars down they win it in 2016 and at that point it looks like this is a real rivalry that's two pretty even teams one of them seems to take the regular season a little bit more seriously than the other one but when the playoffs are going um, this is uh 
you know, a coin flip. And then summer 2016, I think it was on the 4th of July, Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors and that pretty much broke this rivalry and it broke the league in terms of competitive balance. And the only reason that was able to happen was because the players union of which LeBron is the vice president uh, rejected the league's cap smoothing proposal when the new television deal kicked in. And that basically created a spike in the salary cap of about, what was it, 25, 24, 24, 25 million. Yeah, exactly. And that, and with minimal effort, I think they had to dump Harrison Barnes and Andrew Bogut. Um, With those two minor moves, the Warriors were able, you know, the 73 win Warriors were able somehow had an immediate to go add the second best player in the league. And it was a once in a lifetime loophole. And I just wonder if in an honest moment, what LeBron would say about that now. And if I I don't think you'd ever get him to say regrets, not going for the cast doing the proposal, or at least trying to go on some variation thereof. But you know, the league tried to warn the players association, this is going to screw things up here and you're going to get one class of free agents completely overpaid um, relative to the rest of the players in the league just because all these teams are going to have money to play with and it, it's good. they're going to get into bidding wars for this class of free agents. And, um, you know, it's, it's not going to benefit the rest of the players. And the players were like, no, we're not going to have you artificially holding down the salary cap, even if you are going to give us that surplus money to distribute among the players. I mean, that, that was the thing that was so frustrating to me was it wasn't like they were withholding money from the players. Yeah, on no that. one was good. Yeah, they weren't going to were, Whatever money that they money would have been due with was going to be divvied up. It was going to be go, given to the association anyway. So th- those guys would have gotten money. Um, but yeah, it's just that's always one of those great what ifs to me is like how much different would the league have looked had the players association not rejected that smoothing proposal on the salary cap. Yeah, I also wonder if you were to go to um if you were to go to, you know, back to the future, you go to Chris Paul and LeBron James and say, this is what's going to happen if you guys don't, if you guys don't approve this, this smoothing idea. Um, uh, if that would have made them reconsider their position, I don't know if it would or not. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I think to a man, I'm, I'm pretty positive once, uh, once, the Durant news came down. You probably had uh, LeBron and all those guys probably immediately uh, shaking their heads, wondering what the hell they just did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was shaking my head. I, I don't know if LeBron was. I hope he was because I was. But um, yeah, it's it's frustrating. And, you know, it's it's created a weird dynamic in the league. And this is kind of the last thing that I, I wanted to get into is just the Warriors are just a weird team. Um, I don't know how closely you pay attention to this on Friday night, but maybe it was just because it was on the road. Maybe it was because it was a sweep. Maybe it was because the last game was pretty anticlimactic because they ended up winning by 20-something points or whatever. But that was the most subdued, unenthusiastic celebration for winning a championship I can ever remember. Like, they had to be... It was like, you know, you, you ever have, like, one of those years on Christmas where you like you wake up and you are like, you know, running downstairs hoping Santa Claus brought you uh, a new Xbox or whatever the video game system was at that time. And, you got a bunch of clothes. and instead you got like a bunch of clothes that you had to like pretend to act excited about it. Yeah. And the clothes are nice. Yeah. It's okay. You like the shirt you got. It's fine. Right. It's all right. Everything's fine and dandy. It's all, it's all, it's all well and good, but yeah. you're not, you're not giddy. There's no real excitement. And I thought the immediate, I th- immediately thought the same thing. Um, outside of the guys that were wearing suits, those guys seemed really ecstatic. Um, and, the uh, players sw- though. Swaggy P was pretty excited, but uh, yeah. 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 You can understand that. <laughs> he's, he's had a, he's had a rough go. I think I did not realize how old he is by the way. Yeah. Um, but, too old to have the nickname Swaggy P probably, but I think everyone's too old to have the nickname Swaggy P. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought the same thing, just like looking at the guys, they were celebrating, but you could tell it felt a little empty to them. 
Right. I and I think part of that is because they they've killed the mystique and the and the the sense of mystery and any sort of suspense around the playoffs the last couple of years and it sucks and and I think you know I don't remember who was the first person I saw say this but it's 100% true we want to see greatness but we also want to see greatness challenged and they've tilted the scales through a series of you know a once in a lifetime series of events that nobody else could realistically compete with them as they're currently constructed and it's 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 like when you were a kid did you ever play like a video a sports video game and set the difficulty to easy and turn off the fouls and just go win by a hundred yeah and at the end you're kind of like yeah i don't know why i just did that right that's exactly what it is there's no real there's no real challenge to it um we know we have the talent um like that was easy winning is fun when you feel like you really had to work for it. Yes. I've played, I've played, you know, random softball games, for example, where you run rule the other team. They're not, they're no good. And you're just, you're everybody on your team's just hitting the shit out of it. And you just run them off the field. Right. Mm-hmm. Those games aren't fun. No, there's nothing to them. And it's fine when it happens. You're like, okay, fine, whatever. We won the game. We were better. You want to, and I think it kind of sunk into them and they're not going to, they'll keep doing it because I, I'm not totally sure any of them really, um, any of them really care all that much. But it, it's, if you ask them in, in 10, 20, 30 years, everybody except for Durant, they're all going to tell you that 2015 felt better than sure. any of the ones they won when he came back. Durant, who knows, he might never have to, he might never actually get challenged for one. I mean, I I, I'll tell you what, that's that, that kind of leads me to my next point with this. I, I don't think he's ending his career there. I really don't because I think there is a sense of validation that the other guys in that nucleus have that he has not gotten. I think he, you could just sense it in some of his quotes that he's had after last year's title and then again sure. after this year's title. Um, I, I think there's a, a real emptiness that is that comes with joining a team that was already that good. Um, yeah, sure. He felt like he needed a title to validate himself, but the way he went about it isn't going to validate him to anybody. And the other thing with that is, you know, th- this is the other thing that I kind of discovered as I was watching the series unfold, um, the Golden State fan base does not take to him like they do oh, the, no. the other players on that team. Like, Steph Curry is a deity out there. Um, somebody even called him like a modern Jesus or something on Twitter, which was one of the worst tweets I've ever read in my yeah, life. Yeah, that was, that was real bad. But That was real bad. But, I mean, to, to the, the point, though, is like he could have a night where he's struggling – and as soon as he gets a couple shots to fall, if it's at home, all of a sudden everybody's into it. Yeah, there's our guy. Here we go. And they're like willing him back into, you know, getting on track. Whereas, you know, when things start going wrong, it's why is Durant pounding the ball so much? Why is he, you know, kill, killing the, the ball movement? Why why is he taking so many shots? You know, this isn't how we played in 2015. And there's almost like a resentment. Like, he, I mean, he's a mercenary. It's a, he is a, a a straightforward mercenary for their team. And, and it's just, it, it's bizarre to watch because he's it's the best. that they don't. Yeah. He, he's, he's the reason you guys are a dynasty, right? You could very well stay very good, but you're not running through everybody. Without he, kill, he killed the suspense, and he is yeah. the best player on their roster. Whether oh, they like him the most or not, he's the best guy they have. You know who he is. You know, remember the Titans, where that they got a really good team, right? And they got they bring these two schools together. They got all these stars. Everybody's got their positions. Everybody's great. Then Sunshine shows up, and he's clearly the guy they already had. He transfers in from I don't know California, whatever the hell he is. This guy that nobody really like knew that everybody already knew each other they all had their you know their connections and they all had their positions and their roles and all this stuff and this guy comes in and he's better than anything they got he makes the team that much better but everybody is looking around like well i don't know if we need this guy that is who he is he's just a guy that nobody 
really has nobody really wants to accept yeah we needed him to make this this much better right yeah that's that's a pretty good analogy been a long time since I've watched that movie. That's a good movie. Oh, gotta go back and see that, man. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'll watch that again. That, that's rewatchable. Oh, it's classic, classic. Yeah. I, uh, but, but yeah, oh. I'm with you. Honestly, I always liked Kevin Durant. I still kind of do. Um, it it kind of makes me laugh that Golden State fans don't really realize how good they have it. They realize their team is really really good. They don't. They refuse to acknowledge how big a role Kevin Durant has in that. Right, and did you did you see any of their uh, parade and their pep rally or whatever they call it afterwards? I saw them getting off the plane to about twenty five people. Yeah, that was pathetic. I did not see the parade. No, I saw. Um, I, mean, I saw little pictures of it and stuff. But so they did this rally up on the stage, and I think they actually did the rally on stage before the parade because they wanted to get that out of the way before their players. Uh, Maybe got overserved on the. Oh, uh, this where they were all cracking a bunch of jokes about him. Well, it was bizarre. Like the general manager was being interviewed by one of the local TV guys. I think like Golden State's version of Fred McLeod or whatever. And he was, you know, Durant is another guy who could be a free agent this summer. But I mean, all indications are he's staying with Golden State, and um. You know, the, the, this TV guy brings up to the general manager something along the lines of, you know, you, you told Kevin you're going to, you know, give him whatever he wants. And, and the GM's like, haha, no, I was just, you know, saying that for you guys in the media. Um, you know, maybe we'll, and I think like him and Kerr were kind of yucking it up, like, uh, oh, yeah, maybe we'll give him the mid level exception or something. Ah, ha, ha, you know, whatever, harmless, no big deal. And then the, the TV guy's like, well, you know, you told Steph last year you'd give him whatever he wants, and he ended up getting a max deal. And then the GM was like, well, he earned it because he was here during the dark days before we what? were winning. <laughs> and, like, everybody at the stage just kind of stopped. It was like, and, and Curry even looked at him like, the fuck? That might, like, might, have, might have gone too far. <laughs> and, and Durant just kind of played it off like, ha-ha, it's, it's cool. But, like, it was weird. And then, like, like later on, they made another joke. Like, the, the, the TV guy brings him up and is like, yeah, I want to talk to Kevin Durant while I still can before he leaves. And it was just, it was this really strange dynamic. And I'm just like, what? you know, I don't know. Maybe they're, like, trying to create some faux drama because this is what keeps them engaged at this point. And if that's the case, that just adds to them being the corniest team ever. But, um you know, sometimes you tell jokes that hit a little close to home and cut a little, a little too, too deep. Too much truth in them. Just a little. Too a little much truth bit. It was it was awkward, man, and I don't know. I, it just that was very strange. So yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't really get the feeling that like they obviously play really well together. I don't get the feeling that any of them really care that much about each other. I don't think they particularly. I don't. I don't think many of. I don't. I don't think they consider think themselves really good friends. I think they. It's a business relationship, doll, and that's fine. That's not necessarily a judgment, but um, I don't think. I don't get the feeling that Kevin Durant particularly um, likes what he. I think he's probably fine with his decision, but I'm not. I'm not sure he's particularly happy in general. I'm not sure he's getting the satisfaction he thought he would get out of being this part of a dynasty. Well, I'm sure as soon as this podcast hits tomorrow, there's going to be some very obscure account with a bunch of numbers at the end of the name telling you in the third person of Kevin Durant how wrong you are about all of this. But uh, uh, I hope so. Uh, I hope if that means Kevin Durant's listening to the nail, I'll take it. That's right. That's right. Um, um, but. I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I don't know how long he's going to stay there. I think maybe he stacks a couple rings and then figures what the hell I'll go try and do something better somewhere else. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I, I question in general just how long they're going to be able to keep that, that nucleus together. You know, Draymond's already talking like he you – know, I, I saw something earlier in the playoffs that Clay Thompson was willing to take a below-market extension, and I think we might even have talked about that on here, but – you know, it was going to save the Warriors some money, and I thought it was a horrible decision for him to do that. It costed himself money for no real good reason. But Draymond was basically, 
I think it came out either yesterday or today saying like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm going for a super max. You know, if he, he has to hit some sort of incentives this year, like make all NBA or a couple other different options that could trigger that. But next summer he could be eligible for a gigantic payday. And even if he's eligible, do, do, does he get that? That's a good question. Um, like if they're already talking about asking Clay to take a a pay cut, a pretty significant pay cut, right? Uh, I think Draymond kind of feels like he did that the last time because, like he he said, like the last time he could have gotten I think ninety five or ninety six million, and he signed for eighty, and he said that the difference in that after taxes was so negligible, the championships he won were worth more, but it's like, okay, I, I gave you one. Now I'm going and cashing in for as much money as I can. And, you know, it makes you wonder, like, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of on a different scale, obviously what, you know, you have like guys around LeBron in Cleveland, like Tristan Thompson, Tristan Thompson next to LeBron, you know, as a role player on a contender, I think he's worth the 80 million that he's getting as much as that will drive some more casual basketball fans in this town nuts. I believe that. Can we, can we just put the kibosh on the people bitching about the Cavs, like the specifically the JR and the Tristan contracts, because if you're not like anybody that's complaining about those, just doesn't really understand how the salary cap works. Right. Like you had to pay someone. Would you rather overpay Tristan or have a guy at the veteran minimum? Right. Those were your options. The point, the, the, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Um, but like the point I was making with this was just, you know, Tristan in that role playing next to LeBron. Yeah. He's worth that money. If he has that contract playing for the Orlando Magic, he is not worth that because he's his skill set doesn't translate to that setting and that roster. And you know. Draymond Green as the third or fourth guy on the Warriors. Yeah, you know, he's in he's what worth... world is he the third guy? Right. He's he's the fourth guy. Let's I mean, you say third or fourth, and I get what you're saying, but I mean Clay's he's... obviously gonna get you know, Clay's obviously the, the the better shooter and he's gonna be the scorer, but I mean Draymond does a lot of defensive things and a lot of the other, you know, parts of the game and not to say that Clay Clay's one dimensional or anything like that, but um you know, those guys each bring uh, yeah. a considerable I, set of skills. And, and again, though, like in the role that he is asked to play for the Warriors, he's worth every penny that he gets gets from them. But, you know, is he worth the Superbacks to, uh, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns? Probably not. Right. Um, so, yeah, what his market value would be if he would actually go – Test free agency would be kind of an interesting case study, but um, you know that's uh, that's one to ponder for another day, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of bring it full circle. Uh, the Cavs have got their work cut out for them, and uh, it obviously hinges on uh, twenty three. But uh, one way or the other, uh, I, I I will wrap with this, unless you got other stuff. Just to say, um, one way or the other, I think the roster around LeBron is going to be radically different next year. And I think the Cavs roster is going to look very different going into next season. And that those will both be true regardless of whether he's still on the team next year. Yeah. It's, it's weird because if you look at the Cavs roster, it's, if you're, if you're like me and you're only, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm moderately familiar with how NBA contracts work and whatnot. I'm not a not some crazy wonk about it, but I'm also not just random guy who thinks, oh, let me go tr- run the trade machine and see if this works. Um, it doesn't look like they have a whole lot of flexibility to move guys around. Um, obviously we've seen some crazy moves that didn't really that we never would have expected or seen before, but it's going to take, um, if LeBron stays, it's going to take some really creative front office work to to get this roster in, in any sort of shape to contend next year. Well, I mean, they were creative with the trade deadline, that's for sure. You can debate how effective those moves were for 
for uh, this year. Um, I, I will contend that, you know, as much as people want to give the Cavs shit for taking on Jordan Clarkson and still giving up a first-round pick, that the real win in that trade was A, getting Larry Nance, and B, getting rid of Isaiah Thomas, um, which never really seems to get brought up. But, um, yeah, they're going to have to get real creative with it. Um, and I really do think that there's going to be a very concerted effort to tear it down to the studs because the Cavs' first-round pick for next year uh, goes to Atlanta if it falls outside of the top 10. Um, that stems from the Corver trade, I think. Um, so the Cavs, if they're not going to be a contender have a very vested interest in being very bad to ensure that they get a top 10 pick next year. Um, you know, there's not a lot of motivation for them to try to be fighting for the eight seed. And besides that, I think they really want to get, if they're not in contention, they want to get out from that repeater tax that they're paying for being over the salary cap right now. And to do that, you've got to be under the cap for two years. So you got to get that clock started as quickly as you can. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm so, with you. We'll see what happens, man. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> Keep a skeptical eye on uh, every uh, every rumor that starts to float up, and God knows we're going to see plenty of them between now and uh, whenever the uh, uh, latest iteration of uh, LeBron's decision making uh, comes to uh, comes to a head. Yep. All right, boy. Yep, I'm with you 100. All right. Well, uh, what do you say we close it down? Do it. All right. Well, as always, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play. We are also on Stitcher. If you're listening on your desktop, stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Give a like to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast, and uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we are at The Nail Podcast. So that will do it for us for this week. I'm sure we will be keeping an eye on everything going on with LeBron and the Cavs. And, uh, you know, as the summer unfolds, you're going to start to get into some other stuff. Maybe it's going to be about time to start paying attention to the Indians. What do you say, Trev? Yeah, I like it. They're looking strong so far. Good. Um, got a, I think I heard they have the biggest lead of anybody um, in the league in their division. And somehow only, like I think, like the 12th or 13th best record. So <laughs> if they can, if they can extend the... Uh, if they can extend that lead a little bit and sort of lock this division up early. Um, that would be good for be, business. Yeah, it'd be very good. And they can start to uh, start to just coast and hopefully get this bullpen in order. Absolutely. Well, do something good for our business. Go subscribe to us on uh, any of those uh, platforms that we mentioned before. Uh, Apple Podcasts, for, uh, everybody's got an iPhone. So, you know, go, go jump on the iTunes, the Apple Podcasts. Go hit subscribe and uh, do us a solid there. And, uh, yeah, we will be back soon. Uh, Travis Julia, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and uh, we'll catch you later. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. 